In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel lesson opens with Jesus surrounded by a large crowd of people as he is teaching about hypocrisy. Suddenly, someone in the crowd demands his attention and calls out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Apparently, the father had died and left his estate to his sons as joint heirs. Clearly, the man does not like the joint ownership arrangement, and he wants to be independent of his brother. He wants his fair share of the inheritance, and he wants it now. The man addresses Jesus as teacher, a rabbi, a person with considerable authority, and since scribes and rabbis were supposed to settle legal disputes, he figures he can get some free legal advice to settle this family squabble. But instead of waiting until Jesus had finished teaching to ask for help, he rudely interrupts him in order to draw attention to his own needs and wants and demands action now. The man's self-interest clashes sharply with the lesson he so rudely interrupts. Jesus has been teaching people by the thousands. He warned them of hypocrisy. He told them not to fear those who kill the body, but those who can cast them into hell. He encouraged them to confess the Son of Man before people and told them that they will face opposition and assured them that the Holy Spirit will give them the right words to say when they are dragged before the authorities. But then in the midst of this serious lesson, the man interjects a request for help with his inheritance. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Not only is his request inappropriate, it reveals he has not heard a word Jesus had been teaching and that he is only concerned with his personal problems. But Jesus doesn't ignore the man or his rudeness, and yet he may have been a bit irritated with him. First, no one likes to be interrupted when they're speaking. So the man's approach was rude. Second, this is a family dispute, and who wants to be dragged into a family feud? Oftentimes, disputes with families are ugly. In a family, if a family is in conflict, we want them to settle things privately. We don't want them to make a public spectacle of themselves, airing their dirty laundry to the world, appearing on the Dr. Phil show. <laughs> So the response the man got from Jesus may have had a little bit of an edge to it, especially since it was framed not by what the man wanted to hear, but by what the man needed to hear. Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to, judge, to be judge or arbitrator over you? Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
Then Jesus told a parable about a man whose land produced abundantly. It was such an enormous harvest that the man did not have enough space in his storage barns to contain it. Now, it's important to point out that this man was not just an ordinary man working to make ends meet. The text clearly states he was rich. He had land, and it was on this land that the rich man received a windfall of a harvest. It was the kind of harvest every farmer hopes to grow. It's the kind of harvest that only needs to happen once because it was such a big harvest. It was going to last a lifetime. Talk about winning the mega lottery. Well, this was it. Can't you just imagine the excitement of the workers when they went into the fields to work that day? As far as their eyes could see, there were crops galore. They probably ran to tell the man shouting to him, sir, sir, you have got to come and see this. Maybe being a bit irritated at their intrusion, he probably said, well, what is it? And they answered, sir, you have got to see this for yourself. Come on, come. Once the rich man saw the harvest, he probably froze in his steps in amazement at the sight. What his eyes beheld was far beyond belief. He had never experienced such a thing, nor had he ever heard of such. Right in front of him was a miracle from God. But with that miracle came a dilemma. Where was he to put it all? His barns were already full. His mind started racing a thousand miles a minute as he tried to grasp the sight and at the same time figure out what he was supposed to do. Finally, he came up with an idea. He decided to demolish his existing barns and build new ones, supersized barns. But that's where he made his mistake. Listen to what the man says, and not once will we hear him express gratitude to God for his abundance. Plus, he's only thinking of himself. He doesn't mention sharing of any of his miracle harvest with his workers or others who are in need. The harvest is only for him. Listen to what he says. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build new ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. He continues, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's obvious the rich man has no idea about what has just happened. 
He doesn't understand his role as a recipient of a blessing. He doesn't understand that when you are blessed, you are supposed to pass the blessing on. When you are blessed, you're supposed to share it with those who are in need. He doesn't even take into consideration his workers who will have to call the entire crop into his new supersized farms. No, all he can think of is himself and his riches and what it's going to do for him. So, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He has the audacity to think this windfall, this blessing belongs only to him. Regardless of the fact that this miracle harvest is far more than what he alone could ever use. He starts making plans to stockpile all of it for his future and his alone. This is where things take a turn. Jesus continues with the parable and says, but God said, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. When God addresses the man as fool, he indicates the man's blindness in judging life's priorities. The man's soul is being weighed in the balance on that scale, the possessions the man has and the social resume he has built for himself registers no weight whatever. The man in this parable is not a bad man. He's not a thief, he's not cruel, nor has he done anything illegal. What he is, is successful. He's a successful businessman. Unfortunately for him, this in part is the cause of his downfall. His primary concern was only on the materialism of his life. Therefore, he was as poor spiritually as he was rich materially. This helps us understand why God called the man a fool. He is foolish in God's sight because his life is solely oriented toward the accumulation of worldly goods and the employment of bodily, and the enjoyment of bodily pleasures. But there isn't anything essentially wrong with those things. These are among the blessings of God's good creation. The problem lies in the man's mistaken assumption that true happiness is made up in nothing other than accumulating material wealth, having possessions, and satisfying his senses. His only concern is for himself and no one else. But God's response to his attitude brings condemnation upon the man. God says, you fool, this very night, your soul is being demanded of you. The man was going to die that night, 
and there was no telling what would happen to his barn full of grain or his soul. Then Jesus finishes the parable saying, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. It's important to reiterate that Jesus did not say that materialism or money is bad. What is bad is when you fail to use a portion of your possessions and your wealth, regardless of how much you have, to bless others. John Wesley put it this way, he said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in as many places as you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. We can follow Wesley's advice whether we are rich or poor or somewhere in between. A few weeks ago, some members of All Saints got together and began planning for a yard sale. With the support of the parish and friends, items were donated for the event. There was a pricing party, and finally the big day arrived. With parishioners and volunteers, the yard sale raised $1,700. The funds will be divided among two Episcopal-affiliated organizations, Dayspring Center and the Avenue Foundation. With those funds, organizations will make a difference in the lives of the people they seek to help. Thank you. Did you know every second Tuesday of the month, members of the Day Spring Committee of All Saints serves dinner to the residents of Day Spring? And with your donations, needed supplies are collected and delivered to Day Spring. Thank you. An outreach ministry of all saints that's not talked about very much, but it also has a tremendous, tremendous impact on the community, is the clergy discretionary fund. Members and friends of all saints makes contributions to this fund, and these monies are used to help neighbors and sometimes members of this parish who are facing a crisis. Funds have been used to pay utility bills, purchase groceries, pay the rent, buy other needed items for families. Thank you. And then every advent, there's the SOS drive. SOS stands for socks or soap. This is a huge effort that happens every winter season, and its goal is quite simple, to provide new socks and soap to the residents of Wheeler's Mission and the homeless. Again, All Saints members, along with, parishioner, along with partners from other Episcopal churches, support this campaign, and new socks and bars of soap are contributed to this outreach ministry. From a recent drive, the goal was surpassed and more than 27,700 pairs of new socks for men, women, and children 
were collected. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, there are the quiet, unseen ministries that go on in this parish in which members hear of a need and they do what they can to help. This may consist of preparing meals for someone who's sick, providing transportation to and from church, the grocery store, appointments, and under special circumstances, even opening their home to, to provide temporary housing for someone. Thank you. Thank you. Surely this list only scratches the surface of the wealth of generosity that happens at All Saints. So why are we doing these things? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's because we are rich toward God. Because we love God and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And it is because of our love for God that we, we want to do all that we can by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, as long as we can. Thank you, and God bless. <laughs>